Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 24 of the show where we are going to be taking a look at two Star Wars stories. One is the comic book strip that was in the magazine Pizzazz, issue number 14. And then we're going to take a look at issue 20 of Star Wars from Marvel Comics. Now, this is November of 1978, which was a pretty big month. As far as Star Wars goes, next episode, episode 25, we're going to be celebrating the biggest event this month, which was the Star Wars Holiday Special that aired on the 17th of this month. But this episode, we are going to be taking a look at the comics I said. Before we do that, a couple of things that happened this month. One, you know, the Wikipedia site... Whenever you search for what happened in a given year, a lot of things have been cataloged and indexed. And one of the things that happened this year is that Tom Taylor was born. Tom Taylor is a comic book writer who's done several Star Wars works that I actually have not read. So I'm looking forward to reading them because I have gotten to know Tom Taylor through his recent work for DC Comics. He is currently writing Earth 2. He is currently writing the video game tie-in digital comic, Injustice, Gods Among Us. And he is just doing a kick-ass job on both of those books. But more germane to the comics, I want to mention something that's going on over in the United Kingdom right now. They have their weekly Star Wars comic, appropriately entitled Star Wars Weekly. And every two issues, they cover one of our issues through reprint. So they'll take the first half of one of our issues and reprint it one week, and the next week they'll reprint the other half of the issue. But when they started all that, they were rather behind the ball because they didn't start publishing Star Wars Weekly until after we already had our first six issues done. In the meantime, they have been catching up all this while. They're finally all caught up so that this month's issue of Star Wars, issue number 20, gets reprinted in Star Wars Weekly this month as well in the first two weeks of the month. And because of the publishing schedule and the way it falls during the week, this is actually a five-week month for Star Wars Weekly. So on the 1st and the 8th, in Star Wars Weekly 39 and 40, they're publishing this month's issue. Star Wars Weekly 41 and 42 are publishing next month's issue, so they're getting it ahead of us. And then Star Wars Weekly 43, published right at the tail end of the month, doesn't have new Star Wars to publish. So what do they do? They publish a stock story, one of the stories they have on hand just to plug into the schedule whenever they need an extra buffer. And what will be Star Wars 24 gets its first half published at the end of this month in Star Wars Weekly 43. So next month, they're going to have to play around some more because they're still going to be ahead of the schedule. And we're going to talk more about what they do there because it's going to play into some things that we're going to be covering here down the road. Okay, so all of that information aside, let's take a look at our stories for the episode. Marvel Comics demoniacally presents Pizzazz. Number 14, we have a picture of Meatloaf on the cover. And his very long-haired, very, very sweaty (laughs) performance guys. And there's a speech balloon coming out of him as he's screaming into a microphone. Nothing says lovin' like something from the oven. I guess because he's meatloaf. 
There's a little caption beside his face. Is meatloaf the cutest cultural development since the pickle? See page three. I don't really know what that means. Um, I'm looking on this cover. This is the first cover that doesn't mention Star Wars. Star Wars has been mentioned on every single cover of Pizzazz, at least by name, if not with some sort of blurb about it. But this one doesn't. It does say that we have puzzles, fun and games, much dumbness and sci-fi, but there's nothing about Star Wars. I am distraught over this. I don't know what to do. Paging through the issue, there are articles about who is cuteness in Hollywood. Lots of nice pictures of boys and girls for people to choose from. Girls of all ages. I'm glad that they're choosing cuteness rather than some other thing. I guess you can you can look at a teenage girl or teenage actress and say that she's cute without people looking at you too weird, especially if you're just a magazine or whatever and not some like you know crusty old guy. But yeah, it'd be weird. I think if they were using the word hot or sexy. Those would be inappropriate, I'm sure, to the extreme. Anyways, Star Wars. Continuing the adventures of characters from the science fantasy film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox, we have some creative shifts in this issue, because Walt Simonson is no longer drawing for us. Now, I'm just guessing. This is just off the top of my head, throwing it out there. I imagine that Walt Simonson was probably handed several pages, several chapters worth of story to draw, and he just did it all at a go. His stint on Pizzazz started the same month that he had a guest spot on the main Star Wars comic as well, but then his Pizzazz stint has gone on for a couple more months after that. He was probably given all nine or so pages of that at one go, I would imagine. Now, we still have Archie Goodwin doing the writing, but Dave Cockrum and John Tartag... I'm guessing that's short for Tartaglioni, are the artists. Denise Vol is the letterer, and Nell Yomtov is the colorist. Dave Cockrum has made his name known over at X-Men, where he's been drawing the revival of the X-Men. At some point in these late 70s, he gets replaced by John Byrne on that book. I honestly don't know if that's happened yet, and I'm not going to take the time to go look it up right now, but he is a very well-known comics artist to readers of the day. This chapter is entitled Snow Fury. The Empire Strikes. That's two. (laughs) That's twice now that they've used that phrase. First, it was on the title of a couple issues back of the Star Wars comic, and now it's in the caption of this story. In the polar region of Acuria 2, Leia and Luke have been taken prisoner by Imperial troops who posed as local rebels the pair were to contact. Leia is currently out in the snow with a coat on, surrounded by Imperial troopers and talking to the commander who was posing as a rebel leader. He is giving her one last chance to save Luke Skywalker's life by revealing the plans of her rebel alliance. If she does so, he says that he will signal the halt of the war sled, which is currently barreling towards the Great Geyser Sea. Leia, however, does not believe him. She has had too much experience with Imperial liars. And so Luke seems to be fated to die. But elsewhere in the icy wastes, 3PO and R2-D2 and the real Colonel Odan, or Commander Odan, I forget what his title was, are in another ice craft of some sort, rocketing toward the Geyser Sea, or rocketing toward the canyon, rather. And they do see Luke Skywalker's war sled skidding down the canyon on a one-way trip to oblivion. R2-D2, that's too much thrust! Okay, so, (laughs) what I didn't say... 
at the beginning of this scene is that C-3PO tells R2 to put on more thrust to catch up to Luke Skywalker. And then at the end of the scene, he's complaining that there's too much thrust. So yes, C-3PO cannot be pleased. But he's right, there was too much thrust, and their skyship crashes on the top of the war sled. Colonel Odan, some snow demons, and the two droids pile out of the wreckage into the war sled, where they find Mr. Luke Skywalker tied up to a chair. So while one snow demon undoes his bonds, Colonel Odan tries to stop the war sled. However, the Imperial forces have fused the controls, so their best bet is to tear their way out of the hole, take some power skis with them, and they do manage to escape from the war sled onto the icy cliffs just above the geyser sea. Problem is, there's a storm coming. If wind-whipped ice don't slice us to ribbons, odds are we'll be blown over the cliff into that boiling sea. And the next issue is to save a princess. Now, this was pretty fun. (laughs) I did like this chapter. I like how Leia did not bow to the wit to the commands of the Imperials. She is very much the totally in control person of authority, even if it seems like a hopeless cause. She's not going to rat out her friends, very much like the Leia that we saw in the Star Wars film. Now, Luke Skywalker has been saved by somebody who's not Han Solo. That's pretty neat. And they are on their way to save the princess, hopefully next issue. But before next issue of Pizzazz, we need to talk about the next issue of Star Wars from Marvel Comics. Adventures Beyond the Greatest Space Fantasy Film of All. On the cover of this issue number 20, we have C-3PO and R2-D2 and a couple of aliens of random design looking at a view screen where Han Solo is prone on the ground as a four-armed beast gets ready to attack him. The four-armed beast appears to have swords or long pointy sticks of some sort in its hands, and of course C-3PO is very stressed about this. Captain Solo is doomed, R2, and there's no way we can help him. Title on the bottom says, Death Game. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all, continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Okay. So even though we had creative changes over at Pizzazz, the creative team over here stays mostly the same. Archie Goodwin is our writer-editor. Carmine Infantino and Bob Viacek are our artists. John Costanza is lettering. George Rousseau is coloring. And Jim Shooter is the consulting editor. Our opening splash page has an X-Wing fighter blasting at another ship. The X-Wing fighter seems to appear from nowhere, suddenly violently hammering energy bolts into a Rularian pleasure yacht just departed from that monument to the galaxy's lust for gambling, the Wheel, artificial satellite that is home to the city of casinos. There's nothing chance or random in this rebel craft's appearance. It is a carefully calculated move in a vast and deadly scheme. Death Game is our title here, and I'm going to bet you that this X-Wing fighter, which we associate with the Rebellion, is actually being used by the Empire to make it look like the Rebels are attacking wheel interests. 
Of course, according to plan, the denizens of the wheel are watching this on view screens and they are naysaying the rebels. I knew those rebels were crazy. At least the Empire always had the sense to keep its hands off the wheel. And Imperial TIE fighters outside the wheel do attack the rebel fighter and destroy it. Princess Leia Organa tears into Senator Grayshade, the wheel's highest commander, because she thought that he would fight the Empire trying to take over the wheel. However, all he wants to do is enrich himself at the expense of others, and she is not pleased. They were having dinner. However, that seems to be over because she's thrown the plates on the floor in her rage. Senator Grayshade tells his master comm droid to take her back to where she's being held, and she has snuck a knife along with her. So good on you, Leia, for equipping yourself for the future. Senator Grayshade leaves the princess behind and heads off to visit with Commander Strom on his Imperial ship. There are several pages of exposition reminding us where all the puzzle pieces are and why they're there. Commander Strong has to keep it hidden from his superiors that Grayshade knows about their plans. Grayshade has to keep it hidden that he's harboring a rebel leader from the Empire as well. So they're working together. But Grayshade thinks that Strom is moving too quickly. Grayshade's plans involve wooing and romancing Princess Leia. And so long as Strom is moving so abruptly with his plans to overtake the wheel, Princess Leia is not feeling very wooable. However, Strom doesn't have any patience for Grayshade and wants Leia's companions dead. Luke Skywalker's in the hospital, but Grayshade has made certain that his treatment will not help him recover. Han Solo and Chewbacca the Wookiee are training for the gladiatorial combats, and R2-D2 and C-3PO have been placed in storage because Han Solo put them up against a gambling stake. Which means all of our friends are currently captured and imprisoned we're gonna have to see what happens next so we change to han solo in the gladiator pits now you know han solo i know han solo he's a pretty good guy in a fight but he doesn't strike me as the really that super brave of a guy i mean yeah he'll help people out he'll do what needs to be doing but he doesn't really like it that much and the idea of fighting a giant monster in a gladiator pit I don't really see that as being very appealing to him. I think he'd much rather blast him from far away than than have to go up and fight him with a melee weapon. But that is exactly what he's been charged with doing. Grayshade has made sure that Han Solo is placed in a higher weight class to make it more difficult for him. And so he's up against the monster we saw on the cover, a really large pink hulking guy with four arms, each hand fisted around some sort of large pointy tooth or claw or something. Not exactly swords, but they could be swords. Dagger thorns. That's what Han calls them. Those things that create a venomous sap. Just a scratch is enough for a kill. But that is exactly what he's forced to do. As he faces off with this guy, he has a shield on one arm and a mace in the other. He's doing his best to dodge those dagger thorns. He gives the guy a big old wham on the chin with his mace, hard enough to break off the ball. But all he gets for his troubles is an alien boot in his chin. Kawood! As Han Solo crashes into the arena's simula scenery, it is witnessed by excited patrons in every casino on the wheel. All other play has ceased. Now the only interest, the only gambling is on the big game. And in Han's context, the crowd sniffs blood. 
Even Commander Strom is watching the game from his plush quarters on the wheel. He's given his men shore leave to view the big game, which is a benefit to Grayshade also, because whenever they gamble on the game, all of their losses will be his profits. Both of these men and all of their self-interest is kind of greasy and slimy, but it does make for good reading. Yet some of Grayshade's plans are not exactly going the way he wants them to. He sent a technician down to wipe the memories of C-3PO and R2-D2. 3PO's not really happy with this because as far as he knows, they're only in storage temporarily until Master Solo can win enough to redeem them, but the technician's not having any of it. So he tells 3PO to open up his plate but is interrupted by Mastercom. Yes, the droid assistant of Senator Grayshade, the top administrator himself, has come to help out the droids. He says they're the subjects of a study that he's conducting and need to come with him. Now, I haven't said this yet, but Mastercom stands for Master Computer. So this droid, even though he's a droid, he's actually more like an avatar a full-fledged avatar of the sh- the station's computer. He's tapped into the entire station, but he's also mobile and able to walk around and do things. So what is the master computer doing? Well, it is fascinated by 3PO's and R2's devotion to their young master, and all of their efforts to his benefit have been fascinating to Mastercom, so he wants to observe the two droids. And while um, Senator Grayshay didn't exactly grant his request to observe them, he didn't specifically deny it either. This logic is totally satisfying to C-3PO and R2-D2, so they want to go back to Master Luke. However, at the Wheel Hospital, Luke's bonds have been forced and wrecked, and he is missing. The nurse says, it's not possible, not with the patient in deep shock, and not with the special medication I've been ordered to give him. So that's the meaning behind the treatment not being very helpful. Meanwhile, Princess Leia is in Senator Grayshade's suite, and she has pulled the control panel off the wall to get at the circuitry that's keeping the door locked. Using the knife that she swiped earlier and her clothing as insulation, she is able to zap her way out of the door. Question now is, can I reach the lift before Grayshade's guards reach me? Master Calm has monitored this happening from his remote location, and he is intrigued. It is most interesting, but quite futile, particularly for the princess. The only route from the executive tower will lead her into the senator's hand-picked security team. With Senator Grayshade's special interest in Princess Leia, Master Calm does feel compelled to go and report the situation to him, so he leaves the droid behind, not wanting them to get in any trouble. He even gives them advice on where to go and not to go in order to avoid notice. So he's... He's an odd duck, and he's kind of intrigued C-3PO as well. No, R2, I don't know what to make of him either. But we may have gained a friend. So Master Calm is loyal to Grayshade, but not so much that he doesn't mind playing with the rules whenever it suits him. Following Master Calm's advice, 3PO and R2 go to the casino areas where they're kind of lost in the crowds. They're just two more droids. And they see Han Solo on the screen, just like on the cover. It's him, R2, but he's doomed, and there's nothing we can do. This is basically the same moment where he left Han Solo, and Han grabs his power shield and throws it in the path of the lumbering opponent, who trips over the shield and falls flat on his face. And when he rises, it is with the terrible knowledge that one dagger thorn was under his body when it struck the ground. 
it is a small wound, barely a scratch. With the venom-drenched thorn, it is enough. The brute leaps up and tries to make one more jump for Han Solo to stab him with a dagger thorn, but it is his lifeless weight that crashes down on the ground beside Han, him and the hastily grasped rock that bears the thorn's brunt. So Han Solo is able to block the thorn with a rock. He has beaten his opponent. And does that make Grayshade and Strom happy? No, it does not. Grayshade! You smooth-mouthed fumbler, what went wrong? I'm not certain, Strom, but bear in mind, this is only a preliminary match. Sola must still endure the main event. And next issue, as Han faces that challenge, Luke comes under the shadow of a dark lord. Now, one element of these comics that I have not been talking about lately, because I haven't had access to them, because of the way I'm reading the comics is the letters page, but I do have one here, so I'm going to take a look at that. But just to sum up my thoughts on the comic, Leia has used her own ingenuity to break out of her captivity, which I think is great. She is not very happy with previous Senator Grayshade. Remember, they were both senators. This would be like, you know, the Kansas senator and the Maryland senator having it out. You know, they're, they're not happy with each other, and one of them kidnaps the other. This is, this is not, you know, appropriate behavior, and Leia's not happy with it. So she is on the run. Han Solo has rather impressively managed to beat a very large opponent. I would call it luck, but, you know, in Han's experience, there's no such thing as luck. We didn't see Chewbacca this entire issue, except for one brief recap panel that showed him training for the gladiatorial fights. So we don't know what's up with him, although one possible clue is the wrecked hospital cell where Luke Skywalker has disappeared. So it's possible that Chewie got out and is saving Luke, but I lean toward the notion that Chewbacca is still in captivity because I think he and Han are going to be made to fight each other. I don't know, that just seems like a natural story beat to take, since they're both enlisted in gladiatorial fights. Okay, so we're having some exciting stuff with Star Wars. Let's take a look and see what people have been thinking about the comic so far. There's a pretty great letter from Becky Hesla. Her main thoughts are about Star Wars issue number 16, which was the issue featuring The Hunter. And it was her favorite issue, despite the lack of heroes. She liked seeing Jackson and Amaza come back, but she wants to get rid of the Starkiller kid. Just leave him in peace with his wife and his kid. And she liked that and the end with any luck of Don Juan. So her feelings on that seem to echo mine. Don Juan was, I mean, he was a joke. He was in, his entire concept was a joke, a riff on Don Quixote. And the fact that he's dead probably is just for the best. She also didn't care much for the water world. Lots of perils, no plots, no interesting dialogue, and she really didn't like the World War II dropout of a villain, which is her description for the governor, and I I guess it fits, although I don't really know if I can put into words exactly how. She's glad that the saga was short, and she complains about the novel. I was greatly disappointed with the sequel book by Alan Dean Foster. Too many perils, not enough science, no leaving that horrible planet, no perils for the robots, and no Han and Chewie. So some of her complaints are different to mine, but the fact that she didn't like it pretty much falls where I do on that book. So she flips the coin and says that I know it must be difficult to keep the entire cast from the movie in your story, but you're doing it. However, on the other side of the fence, David Bachman says, Dear Archie, Ray, Star Wars number 16, let's have no more of this. 
the next letter is a rather long and amazing one from Roy Thomas, the previous writer of the comic. He talks about how when a lot of writers on a series leave the book, they often check in and are kind of horrified on what later writers have done with the, with the title since they left. Not so with Star Wars. He's pleased to see that not only has Archie Goodwin come up with some great plots on his own, but he's also carried forward and used elements that Roy Thomas laid down. Crimson Jack was in one issue for Roy Thomas. Archie Goodwin brought him back for that whole uh, series of events around the water world of Drexel. Jackson the Rabbit was introduced by Roy Thomas. And after Archie Goodwin finished off that story, he later brought Jackson the Rabbit and Amaza back for a one-off issue with the Hunter. And one thing I did not notice is that two of the minor bad guys in the Jackson story were named Fudd and Daffy. Which was very subtly done, I guess, because I totally didn't see it. And that's a great joke for enemies of Jackson, the walking rabbit. So yes, a great letter from Roy. The response from the editor is very appreciative and blushing. And the final letter is from Trisha Trotzi who appreciates the comic, it says has gotten her buying comics again, but asks that they consider what they put their women in. She says, every woman you draw comes out looking like a Charlie's angel. Look at Princess Leia in her turtleneck gown. And, you know, I have to kind of agree with her. So far, the two largest female characters we've had so far have been Amaza and Jolly. Neither one of them was exactly covered in clothing. I mean, Amaza was by far the worst offender. I don't remember exactly what Jolly was wearing, but it probably, you know, but it didn't cover maybe everything that it should have. So anyways, that is our issue, issue 20 of Star Wars, and that's where we're going to stop for a couple of episodes, because next episode is the Star Wars Holiday Special, and then we'll be back to look at more of the Saga of the Wheel after that, and I hope you'll be here for it. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air in special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga Cast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast. And good night.